just some things that don't work unless you're all in. I mean, there's just some things that only work when you're sold out. And living for God is one of those. And I'll admit there's some low places and there's some rough waters. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't walk through the valley of the shadow of death by myself. I'm not in that trial by myself. I'm not here on Sunday morning by myself. I don't walk through the week by myself. Clap your hands and give him praise. Praise God. Praise God. It's great to see everybody in the house of the Lord on this August, whatever it is, morning. Feels more like October than August most of the time. But it is great to be here in the house of the Lord. And it's great to have so many visiting with us. I know we've already done this, but why don't you just turn right where you're at and turn to somebody, shake their hand, give them a big smile, and say, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here today. There's a huge Sunday school back-to-school bash. And I thank God for all the effort and the sacrifice that these have put into that. Sister Reed and, and so many t- that make that uh, a wonderful thing and a wonderful department. We appreciate that so very, very much. You want to remember, next Sunday um, is going to be our special missions service with Brother Raul Alviar from Brazil. And uh, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor, that's Labor Day weekend. I know, but not everybody's leaving on Labor Day weekend. And you will be greatly blessed to be here. This is one of most phenomenal men that I know that uh, his entire family, I think he has 30, 30 preachers in his family, and they have left an incredible impact on the country of Brazil. And that's going to be next Sunday. We're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost. Yes. And as our custom is, as a people, we will be taking a missions offering for him uh, in Brazil. And so uh, please be mindful of that. And, uh, And God will bless us so that we can bless them. And that's just how it works. I am blessed to be a blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, I am blessed to be a blessing. That is the divine reciprocity. That is the process. God rains on the flower so the flower can be a blessing to us. And so uh, if you you have to connect, you have to connect on the horizontal to make to make the circle complete. And uh, that's when God will open up the windows and it will be powerful in Jesus' name. Great to see everybody. And uh, man, it's just great to be home on a Sunday here. And uh, no matter what the month is, no matter what the time is, it just feels so good in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Let's praise Him. Let's praise God. Let's take a moment and give Him praise and glory. He is worthy. He is worthy. Oh, yes, He is. He is worthy. He is worthy. Praise God. I'd like to draw your attention here uh, this morning to the book of John, chapter number 6. I am not going to tell you that I'm not going to preach very long because I might preach for a real long time, but probably not. Um, 
I'm going to preach as long as I need to and then stop when I feel like I am done. But I definitely have something to share with this audience here today. Praise God. John chapter number 6. And this is a familiar context, a familiar setting in the Word of God. And we are going to start in verse number 5. Everybody said amen. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, the context of this is, is that this there are thousands. There's, there's 5,000 men alone. And if you added the married ones with children, there could easily be 8,000 people in attendance. And Jesus is asking a rhetorical question of Philip because he recognizes that there is no way that we could ever buy enough bread or humanly furnish enough bread for this great host. And so Jesus is setting his disciples up to witness a miracle, okay? Verse number six, and this he said to prove him for he himself knew what he would do. See, there's sometimes Jesus sets us up because he already knows what he wants to do. And so he's not doing this for his benefit. He's doing it for your benefit. Are you with me? Okay. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there is a lad here. Sometimes the young people have the answer for revival. I thank God for the old ones. That includes me. But sometimes the young ones hold the key to revival. Okay? There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Okay? This is the very, very first mega church. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. In verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would, and when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Verse number 12 and when they were filled, Jesus said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. With God, nothing is wasted. With God, nothing is wasted. Let's put our Bibles down and let's pray together. By the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we praise you. We worship you. There's nobody like you. God, I pray for a dimension of the miraculous. If for no other reason, to convince, spawn faith, bring belief in the midst of darkness and blindness and ignorance in our world. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Right before you're seated, let's clap our hands unto him as a faithful and wise creator. Come on, let's praise him. Praise God. Come on, let faith rise in this house. Praise God.
God bless you. You may be seated. God bless you. You may be seated. With God, nothing is wasted. The famous scripture is actually found in several different accounts in the synoptics. Synoptics, of course, describing Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are a lot of the things, the same writings and eyewitness accounts that are synonymous, which means they all recorded the same thing. This is a harmony of the Gospels. And this occasion of feeding the 5,000 is an incredibly notable miracle that takes place. As we've already seen, Jesus is well aware of the fact that the odds are against any of these people being fed physically. The odds are tipped way over on the side of doubt, unbelief, skepticism, just, just blatant disbelief. So Jesus engenders, he's trying to bring everybody to a posture of fully appreciating what he's about to do. And uh, I've thought about this scripture before because I wonder how many times in our life is God really setting us up for the miraculous? Most of the time, because we live in Western culture, we are resistant and hesitant anything that is going to upset us becoming creatures of habit. We like things to be methodical. We like it to be consistent. We like, we like to know where the coffee pot is. We like to know uh, exactly when I'm going to get paid. I want to know that there's five choices of cheese at the store. We, we, we live a life in which we have really unrealistic expectations. We live our lives that way. And Jesus breaks in. And he sets the disciples up to witness an incredible miracle that takes place. And um, he says, Philip, he said, how much money are we going to need to feed everybody? And, of course, it's astronomical. And the number that he gives, he's just throwing it out there, and he just, he's just way below the mark. And this is exactly what's expected because where Jesus wants us to take inventory and realize, I can't do this. I don't have money for the hospital bill. I don't have money for my kids' education. God tries to posture us so that we can come to the end of ourselves. But human pride says, I got a little more rope. I remember one time I was, I was wanting to go up and pray for somebody in the hospital, and they told somebody in the church to tell me, no, I don't need you to come and pray. And they died. Um, I'm not happy about that. I'm just being factual. They ended up dying. But um, it, was, it was human pride saying, I don't need prayer. I don't, I don't need. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you need God more than you believe you need God. And I think we ought to praise him for putting up with human ignorance and being fickle. Come on, let's praise him. He puts up with that. Hallelujah. So we take a little measurement. Finally, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's, Simon Peter's brother, said, hey, there's a little kid here that's got um, a little bit of a bag lunch. Somebody, somebody packed him a bag lunch. And, um, you know, I know that it's not going to feed 8,000 people, possibly even plus, but here it is. And Jesus said, good, I found exactly what I'm looking for. See, all Jesus needs is a little. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not sitting in just some average kind of, just kind of a denominational, just get us by kind of a service. We believe in the power and the demonstration of an almighty God. And life should be a sequence 
of miracle after miracle of supernatural occasions that build us and lead us from victory to victory and faith to faith. Let's clap our hands and give him praise one more time. And so they bring the loaves, they bring the fishes, and it passes through the master's hands. And I'm going to talk about some other things, but right now I want to introduce this because I'm going to revisit this in a little bit. Um, what you are seeing here is you are seeing the, the power or the art of conversion in that Jesus is taking little and he's converting it into much. See, the key is you've got to get it into his hands. He doesn't need a whole lot of faith. He doesn't need a whole lot of money. He doesn't need a whole lot of education. He doesn't need a whole lot of know-how. But if you'll take what you have and take it to the master and put it into his hands, I think somebody ought to give God the praise. I think somebody is looking for a miracle. I think somebody is going to walk out of here today in the direction of a miracle today. So the 5,000 men are fed, and the wives are fed, and the children are fed. Everybody's fed. They probably got to the place where there was so much food that was flowing into that audience that somebody took a bite and threw it away. Somebody said, man, I don't want the heel, so I'm just going to take a bite and throw it on the ground. You know how little kids are, you don't take a bite, throw it down, grab another, take a bite just because I can do it. I'm going to take a piece of candy because I can do it. <laughs> take a little nibble and talk. And the ground is now littered with the fragments of a miracle. And Jesus looks at his disciples that are just, they're, they're just awestruck of what has just happened. And he said, I want you to pick up the fragments of this, the pieces of this, what people were throwing away. I want you to, to, to pick every single one of these fragments up. And so they go about their duty. And the Bible doesn't say how long it took, but I, I bet it took a little bit of time with thousands of people. And they were, they were just camped out there like Woodstock. And, and these guys are walking through with baskets, and there, oh, there's a piece, and there's a fragment. There's one somebody took a bite out of. There's one somebody took three bites, turned it into a Frisbee. Grab that, grab that. And they brought 12 baskets that were not just leveled off. They might have been shaken down, running over, but there were 12 baskets full of the evidence of a miracle. Because with God, nothing is wasted. God, Jesus is saying, you know what? We are not going to waste this. We are not going to take that that's on the ground and got dirt on it. It's already got ants on it. It's already got bugs on it. I want you to grab it and put it in a basket. Because with me, nothing is going to be wasted. Clap your hands and give him praise. What people throw away. What human beings throw in the dirt, see, we're trained at an early age to be great wasters. Oh, honey, you don't have to do that. What we throw away, and I understand this is just all part of one of the one of the byproducts of living in Western culture. We got more food than we know what to do with. But what, did it ever dawn on us that much of the world that lives in the southern hemisphere or even south of the, of the equator, what we throw away, they would call a five-course meal. Americans today are great wasters. Did you know that America only makes up 5% of the world's population? but we generate 40% of the world's waste. The average American processes five pounds of garbage every day. 
largest man-made structure in the world is a landfill of garbage. It's in New York City. You can see it from outer space. I was hoping that the things that the astronaut would see would just be a giant sign that say, we love God. But the thing that they can see from space is a landfill because we are wasteful people. Someone said amen. Because we are trained at an early age to be a disposable generation. You're thinking, man, I didn't come here to hear this. Oh, yes, you did. God knew you was going to be here. You just don't want to be honest. Hallelujah. They say there's a huge sign over at the, over at the transfer station on Sullivan that it's a really nice place for a garbage dump that says you are not allowed to rub and move and stuff. And I go through I, every time. And I just say it's just second nature to me. I'm, I'm pulling stuff out of the back of my truck, and I'm thinking, man, that looks like a good water heater over there. And, man, I, that looks like part of a vanity to somebody's bathroom. And I'm not about to go grab it, but somebody in the world would take that because one man's, one man's garbage is another man's treasure. We are taught at an early age to dispose of things when they are no longer useful to us. We are in a disposable generation. taught to get rid of people. 2017 in America alone, there were 879,000 abortions. You don't want it. You wanted to play, but now you don't want to pay. I don't know what you came to church to hear today. I came to give you the will of God. We are raised to be wasteful. We are raised to throw things away that we don't want to deal with. Somebody help me out over here. Clap your hands and give God the praise. In 2015 in America, there were 913,000 abortions. at the news headlines, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced we are in the end times. I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing parents kill their children. I'm seeing entire families being killed. I'm seeing, I'm seeing mothers that don't want their kids to do despicable acts, saying that they're listening to a voice. I rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. With God, nothing is wasted. Between 41 and 50% of all marriages in America will end in divorce. We're having a hard time. I'm not the one with the problem. So we're just going to end this relationship. We're just disposable. People are disposable. Relationships are disposable. 43% of all American children today come from fatherless homes. father that loves uh, his, the, the mother of those children and loves those children, but yet there's children, it's, it's increasing every year, are coming from fatherless homes. In 2017, 47,173 people committed suicide in America. My life is not worth living. Let me just get rid of it. I, I've been disposing of stuff my whole life. I, I, I'm, I'm on drugs because I'm worthless. I give myself to internet pornography because I can't handle life. I'm addicted. I'm messed up. And let me just pull the trigger. I rebuke that lion spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going on around this world, but I came to challenge the forces of darkness with the power of truth. Somebody clap your hands and give God the glory. We're taught at an early age, I don't like it, so I'm bailing out. I'm walking out. I'm disposing of this. I'm going to waste an opportunity to grow instead of an opportunity to be in denial again. 
miss the signals. We miss the opportunity. We miss the miracles. We miss the opportunity that God can do all things and do all things well. With God, nothing is wasted and nobody is going to be wasted. cause of death in America is suicide. And what's starting to startle statisticians is you have police officers that are now committing suicide. You have people in the armed forces. You have people in authority. You have people in leadership that are now committing suicide because they cannot handle the pressure and the responsibilities and the expectations. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? My mom and dad gave up on me. Everybody gave up me, on me. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go get on drugs. I'm going to become an alcoholic. I'm going to live a life of denial where I, I've got the face on, but nobody really knows where I'm at, and I've, I've just given up on myself. I've come to bring you hope. I've come to bring you a promise. When my father and my mother reject me, the Lord will take me up. God will never throw you away. God will never walk out on you. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Satan will tell you you're a waste. Satan will tell you you're a mistake. Satan will tell you you've blown it. Satan will tell you you've messed up. With God, nothing is wasted. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, let's praise him a little bit. This is just me, so you can just bear with it right now. But all those aborted babies, that immature, ungodly, irresponsible, selfish people produce, I wonder if they're in heaven already. You say, well, they weren't a person at the first trimester, and they weren't a person at the second trimester, and now they're trying to legislate laws about when a person comes into being. I rebuke that spirit. I'm telling you, something is burning in me today. I rebuke the spirit of the world that wants to just clap your hands and give God the praise in the face of every lying devil. So what did Jesus do with this bread and these fishes? He converted little into much. <laughs> you ready, Brother Charles? Okay, I figured you was. But you asked me about this yesterday, and I couldn't go into it because in fact, if you missed the men's camp out, you missed it. It was a great time. And I couldn't get into this because there are people that are here now and I wanted them, I didn't want to be redundant, so here we are. The first six days of creation, God put all the pieces together. And then he took a break. But on the seventh day, with the dawn of the seventh day, there was one honeybee among 4,000 species of bees. God didn't create another species after the sixth day. All the species were created in the six days. So one bee out of 4,000 species was careening through the garden. It was created on the second, third, and populated on the fourth and fifth day. And went to a flower that was created on the second and the third day and interacted with the pistil of that flower and the pollen of that flower. And there were other bees of other species that came and helped out. And he left, I say he, I don't know, maybe it was a female bee. But the bee left the flower and began to fly through the garden that was spoken into existence on the second, third, fourth, and fifth day, populated on the third, fourth, and fifth day, is flying through the garden and finds a hollow in a rock 
that might have probably been created on the second day. And so a bee is now gathering with other bees on the seventh day to create something that did not exist in the first six days, and that is honey. There is now also, there is, according to God's husbandry, there is an, there is a representation of cattle among the hundreds of species of cattle that are in the world today. There was cattle that was in the grass in an open spot in the garden. The grass emerged on the second and third day, and there's a cattle that was created on the fifth day, and he's now eating the grass that was created on the second and third day, and now he is masticating. He is ruminating. He is now producing something, and it gives forth something that did not exist in the six days, and that is milk. Milk and honey, that was God's blessing to his people as they came into the promised land, did not exist in the first days of, six days of creation. The seventh day of creation is the day of conversion in which God takes that which was already made, and then they get together through interaction, and they produce a world that did not exist in the first six days. Go ahead and clap your hands. There's a lot of people think, okay, God created all this stuff in the first six days of creation, and now everybody's just going to kind of sit around, wander around, and what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm just creating, I'm just put here. No, the seventh day is the day of interaction, and that is the beauty of creation, is that the dynamic, the idiosyncrasies of interaction is happening in the visible, it's happening in the invisible, it's happening in the microscopic, it's happening in the macro, the micro, on every dimension. There is interaction to produce sunlight. There's interaction to produce babies. There's interaction. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, the day of conversion is here. With God, nothing is wasted, only converted. greatest conversion of all is something from nothing. Man, where did this church come from? You guys must have been here a long time. No, this is something from nothing. But of course, you can't call somebody nothing. Just be careful that you don't think you're something. Because if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. If you're sitting here today saying, I'm really something, when God looks at you and says, I'm trying to get you to repent because you're really nothing. But you and me together, we can make something. But you think you're something without me. And so, really, you're deceiving yourself because you're nothing. Clap your hands and give God the prayer. I came to preach. I came to preach here today. I came to preach here today not to give you a Sunday matinee. come to this church and I'm home and I'm preaching, I'm going to do everything I can to give you something. You came to this church today saying, well, pastor, I'm nothing. I don't have any money. I don't have a big name. You're just the one God's looking for. But the, hold on a second. But the worst thing you can do is say, I don't wear I don't wear name brand clothing and I'm more, I have a broken down car and I don't have a nice house and I don't have this. The worst thing you can do is allow your pride that comes from the world get on you and try to make you something that you're not so that you can fit in with the world that's going to hell. You ought to just say, no, 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 no. I already know I can't do this. I can't heal myself. I can't. The first principle of conversion is something from nothing. Well, pastor, you must be been preaching a long time. I've been preaching a long time. I've only been preaching for about 30 minutes. I was not born in this. I was not raised in this. I do not have a family tree in this. I don't have a family lineage of this. God bless those that do. I highly respect that and appreciate that and value this. But I am the first generation of my family to stake a claim in the apostolic doctrine. God called something that was out of nothing to confound the wise and say, look what I can do with an ex-drug addict. Look what I can do with an alcoholic. God can convert something out of nothing because in God, nothing is wasted. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Second conversion is God converts prophecy into testimony. 
God gives you a promise early on in your life. Maybe you're a young girl. And God tells you, I'm going to use you. I've got great plans for you. Or maybe you're a young man. Or maybe you're somebody that comes into the truth for the first time. Whatever your age is. And God gives you a promise. That promise is, is supposed to be a determination that you walk a certain path. That you say, no matter what happens, I'm pursuing that path. I'm not going to go back to the world. I'm not going to go into this. I'm not to go into that because God is saving me for something. I'm going to bring glory out of my life. I'm going to give myself to God because with God, nothing is wasted. God gave a young man by the name of Joseph a dream. His father put a coat on him. His brethren rejected him. His brethren mocked a killing. His brethren sold him into slavery. His brethren sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He was placed in jail for 20 years, but God never gave up on him. And when he finally got on location, he said, now I realize that God sent me here according to a prophecy. And now this is my testimony. Clap your hands and give God the praise. With God, nothing is wasted. Second dimension of conversion is weakness produces strength. The greatest of all the apostles has already thundered across Asia Minor, already began churches, already preached to the Gentiles, already cast out devils, already seen the miraculous, already seen people fall into the power of God through this apostolic message. But God sends him a thorn in the flesh, which is a messenger of Satan. Could it be, even as we get a little older, that God allows thorns into our lives? You just have to make sure you don't become a thorn, which means instead of you giving that to God, you've actually allowed yourself to become bramble and bitterness. Bitterness produces bramble and thorns. Instead of you taking the hardships of life, and say, God is going to convert my hardship into becoming a glorious woman of God or man of God. We allow those thorns to dig into us, and they produce wounds in us that we never recover from. And so Paul said, you know what, I'm not going to beg. I prayed three times, and God said, I ain't taking it from you. You're kidding me. This is, the, this is the chiefest apostle. And God's saying, I'm not removing it. I am not moving this messenger of Satan. And so Paul finally prayed through Brother Wokey, and he said, I got a new revelation. I'm therefore going to rejoice. Because when I am weak, just to know that his grace is sufficient will be my strength. Oh, clap your hand. Come on, God's trying to shatter the unreasonableness of humanity, the fecility of people. They're so unreasonable. They want everything one way. You got to have God's light. And so God comes into your world and He says, I'm going to upset your world because you need a greater revelation. Where you were living was fine when you were a new convert, but you've had the Holy Ghost for 25 years. You ought to be giving Bible study. You ought to be the great artifice of wisdom. You ought to be the greater, people ought to be drawn to you as a magnet of strength, not avoiding you as somebody that's a thorn and a thistle. You ought to be somebody that's getting strength out of weakness and say, I'm going to go ahead and pray because I know I'm not in this valley by myself. I'm not in this trial by myself. Nothing with God is ever wasted. Sometimes natural things happen to us, and we have to cast our cares on him because that's where the strength is, because God is desperate to bring a return from a human life.
But when you come to this church, you're going to get meat. You are not going to get some little deal on a plate. He says, well, that's all you're getting today, a little John 3.16. Honey, John 3.16 ain't going to do you no good unless you went to John 3, verses 1 through 5. And then when you go to John 3, 1 through 5, you got to go to Acts 2. And then you go to Acts 8. And then you go to Acts 10. And then you go to Acts 19. And then you ain't sitting there any longer. You're in a baptismal with your hands in the air. We have too many people in America that have been trained. I'm just going to go to a church and watch the performance and listen to the preaching. God said, no, 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 no. I'm here to manufacture something. I'm here to convert something. I'm here to take your pain and turn it into power. Clap your hands and give God the The greatest of these. Is to create. Through supernatural conversion. Failures. Mistakes. Tragedy. Loss. And convert it into ministry. Every hand lifted, let's pray right now. You thought God was through with you. God ain't through with you. You're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. You just don't understand where you are. And you don't, you can't, you don't comprehend how God is dealing with you where you are. I'm going to tell you, when you get that, it's a, it's a revelation. It's a human revelation. Go to Luke chapter 21, Brother Clark, verse number 22. Now, you got to understand, Peter's already got the keys of the kingdom. I'm pretty important. I don't know what these other 11 slobs are going to do, but I got the keys. Yeah, you don't think the spirit of competition existed in the human race. The spirit of competition, honey, has been here as long as human beings have been here. Old Zach. I got the keys. Everybody else is a, is a dipstick and not going anywhere. I'm the boss. Jesus is just getting ready to process Peter. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Jesus is speaking to somebody under the sound of my voice. Eric, Eric. Zach, Zach. Mary, Mary. Harold, Harold. Satan has desired to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. You're going to find out what's really in you. What your motives are. And what you're really made of. Go to the next verse, please. But I have prayed for thee. Oh, thank God. Let's lift our hands and thank God. Jesus is not going to let you face the devil by yourself. Come on, somebody. You need this. See, if we're not careful, we'll think, I don't need this. This ain't for me. Oh, God is wanting to convert the negative, the tragedy, the horribleness, and convert it into power, convert it into promise, convert it into prophecy, convert it into blessing, convert it into ministry. Watch this. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art, again, The art of conversion. You see, Jesus chose Peter. But he was impetuous. He was competitive. He had a bad attitude towards his brethren. James and John were no better. Call down fire on me, Jerry. Won't give us the cart. You don't know what spirit you're of. 
Jesus said, I got to Jerusalem to suffer many things. Peter said, not on my watch. Get behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but of man. Peter had already been used to the devil. Jesus never took away the key. Please, no response for the next several moments because I got to minister. So you think your failures and your mistakes, you're still living a life that you can tell me way back then that I'm unusable, I'm unfixable. You're listening to the wrong voices. Only God can say, nothing will be wasted. I'm going to use that to convert you. Peter? You're impetuous? Yeah. You're not afraid to be used of the devil? Yeah. You got a spirit of competition on you? Yeah. <laughs> Satan has desired to have you, big shot. But I pray for you that you don't walk out on me. You don't give up on your future. You don't give up on your potential. Jesus predicted his failure, and he never gave up on Peter. See, we're convinced that if I make a mistake... told you that? I'll tell you who told you that. People who put so much pride in the opinion that people had of them, they had to hide their mistakes. Because it would change, and I hate it the way it is, but it's just human beings. Can't be real. Can't be honest. I want to tell you what, you're in a church that can be real and honest, but ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate all this flying through the air, supernatural stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, when your, feet fit the gr when your feet hit the ground, you walk with God. You walk in the fear of God. You live for God. You give yourself to God. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. <laughs> Jesus saw the weakness of Peter's character and did not take away his potential. So where did Satan sift him? Where did Satan sift Peter? Most people think that Peter was sifted when he made the mistake. No. I know that was Peter and not the devil because Jesus said about four verses later, before this night is through, you're going to deny me three times. Not the devil's going to make you deny me. You're going to deny me. Satan sifted Peter after he failed. When he said, man, I'm, no, I'm not even worthy to be a part of this. I, I brought shame on the name of Jesus. Shame on my brethren. He was condemned of himself. He was humiliated. Here comes the devil. <laughs> Go ahead. Just walk out. It's over. No more call, no more keys. God can't use you. I feel sorry for people that become convinced of that. I want to do everything in my life and in my power to reverse that effect that comes from a fallen, wounded human conscience. Because when there's a conscience, Satan moves right in and people cannot tell if it's them or the devil anymore. And now they're programmed. Oh, But I prayed for you. So humiliated, bruised, banged up, and beaten up. He goes back to fishing. That's usually what people do. They give up. They walk out. They go back to what they had before. So Jesus has an audience with Peter, and he says, uh, Peter, do you love me? I'm, I, I can look at Peter. And in his, his true humility and embarrassment and shame. You know, there is a valid shame. 
But there's also a destructive, toxic shame. And that's when you actually start listening to the devil when he tells you that you haven't done a mistake. You are a mistake. If the devil's telling you that, I rebuke that spirit off of you in Jesus' name. You are not a mistake. There's not one human being in the, on this planet who was ever conceived that was a mistake. It is a gift of God. I'm almost done. Peter, do you love me? Jesus is asking that across this audience here today. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. I don't even think he could look at you. Yeah, I do. Yep, I love you, Lord. Jesus pressed it. Peter, do you love me? Everybody's listening now. All the other 11 guys, one of them, a couple of them are probably smirking. Yeah, Peter loves him all right. Yay, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. What? Feed my sheep. He asked Peter the third time, Peter, do you love me? Finally, Peter's a little bothered by this. Yay, Lord, you know I love you. Thou knowest all things. Feed my sheep. Jesus didn't. Do that for his sake. Jesus was doing that for Peter's sake. He was letting Peter know, I know you love me. That's not who you are. You made a mistake. You, you, you posture yourself in a position that, that, that you were weak. You fell, in, you fell into that. And, and, and I know that. I know you love me. I know Jesus was not willing to give up on his future because of one mistake in the past. Sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking, seeking whom he may devour. How come Paul didn't write that? How come Philip didn't write that? How come James didn't write that? How come none of those other guys wrote that? I'm going to tell you why none of those guys wrote that. Because they didn't go through what Peter went through. Peter is now strengthening the brethren. But he's, I'm trying to get you a warning that the devil is watching you. The devil is following you. The devil is waiting on you to make a mistake. He's going to move in with everything he's got. He's going to try to rob you of your future. He's going to try to rob you of your potential. He's kind of going to try to destroy you. Clap your hand and give God the praise. With God, nothing is wasted. Even your failures. Even your mistakes. Even your lowest point. All these precious new converts that are coming into this. Don't you ever let the devil tell you that this is all about seniority and this is all about perfection. This is about staying honest. Clap your hands and give God the praise. What the devil wants you to do is live a life of denial and live an alternative life now and live a secret life. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Come on out of the closet. Come on out of the dark. Come on out of hiding. Bring it into the light. Let God bless it. Let God use it. And let God convert it. Here it goes. Repent. He preaches to thousands of Jews over there that this, who you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were convicted. They were pierced in their heart. And they said, Peter, is there any hope for us? He said, boys, I know exactly how you feel. But God took my failures. And he, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter knew. This is why Peter was the preacher of Pentecost. He had failed so miserably. But with God, nothing is wasted. Clap your hands and give God the praise.
King David, 2 Samuel chapter number 7, verse number 1. And God gave King David rest of all his enemies. David's sitting in his palace, and Nathan the prophet is there, and David says, you know what, I'm sitting, here I am, I'm sitting in the house of David, and God is still dwelling in the tent. And the, and the prophet is so moved by this, he tells David, he says, go and do all that is in thine heart. There's a whole other message in that. Nathan missed it. Because God spoke to Nathan at night and said, you go back and tell David, did I ask you to build him a house? God wasn't looking for anybody to build him a house. God had been on the move since Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2 when the Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep. He wasn't looking for a house. That's why the tabernacle was mobile. God is always moving. I'm just about done so that you guys that are falling asleep can finish your nap. Thank you. Our new converts want preaching. God bless you. This is why this church ain't got an afternoon service, because it would be a sleep fest. Starting with yours truly. But you're here, and I refuse to waste your time. I've come to bring you something from God. You're still running from the boogeyman in the closet of your life. And God's saying, why don't you let me convert that boogeyman into a man of God? God doesn't get glory from God. Okay, I'm a graduate from Yale. I went to seminary. I got blah, blah, blah. I got more degrees than a thermometer. Uh, I've, I've, the limousine dropped me off at the front door. James will bring it around as soon as I give him a call. This is one of our finest products from our seminary. A long line of preachers. Pompous posturing that is proliferating the pomposity of putridness. God, I want a pastor that's got degrees and can tell you how many species of fleas live in the Holy Land. God says, that ain't what I'm sending in this world. I got a next heavy metal rocker that I'm going to put my anointing on because I converted his past into power. Because the foolish things of this world God has sinned to confound the wise. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Psalm 51, in 2 Samuel 7, David says, I'm going to build God a house. God speaks to Nathan the prophet at night and says, you go back and tell David, I didn't ask you to do that, but I'm going to build you a house. And the house of David is still with us. And it's not really mortar and wood. It's a dimension. I don't have time to get into that. But David's house is still with us. And it's a dimension in the spirit. But he said, your offspring will build me a house. And I'm going to establish your throne forever. God established the throne of David forever. You with me? Coming down the home stretch, just nod like you're with me. You'll get to eat within 20 minutes if you don't pray. But I recommend you pray. Okay, You'll eat in an hour unless you pray real good. Then you can pray, eat in two hours. Four chapters later, at the time the kings go forth to battle, that is a grammatical idiom that describes that the former and the latter rains and the former rains are during October and November that form puddles and hard obdurant ground becomes so moisture laden that it's difficult and costly to move armaments and the memorabilia of war and so kings just had a natural agreement I'll meet you in the spring when the ground dries out 
and we can bring guys out here, we'll go back to war. So it was a time for kings to go back to battle. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Honey, when you stay home all by yourself, that's when you're proving to the spirit world that you're really living for God. If you can stay at home by yourself and be a saint of God, you are living for God. David couldn't do it. David flipped on the computer screen and saw a woman. Nobody's here. It's a great time to look at pornography. And pornography only has one outlet, so you've sinned against your body, your mind. You've misused your mind, your heart. You've defiled your marriage bed. I'm preaching. You didn't come here for a little sing-song. I came to preach. And David messed up royalty, had a man killed, an innocent man killed, one of the mighty men of valor were killed, and took his wife and produced a child with her. And played the hypocrite for one year. Tried to get the victory, couldn't pray, couldn't worship. Finally, he sends Nathan the prophet to him, tells him a little story. And David said, the man that has done this will pay fourfold. And the prophet spins and said, thou art the man. And the sword will not depart from your house. And the only thing that David could think of, elder, oh God, don't take your promise. Don't take your prophecy from me. That was a promise about my household and now my children. He lost four children. Luke chapter number one, Gabriel shows up and talks to a young 14-year-old girl by the name of Mary and says, you're highly favored. And God is going to bring a king that will sit on the throne of David. The only human being to ever hear that. You're kidding. God didn't take his promise. God did not stop David's prophecy. He didn't stop his promise. No. There are some promises that are greater than your failures. Lift your hands and give God the praise. See, if you don't believe that, you're never going to see them. If we listen to the devil and think, well, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. The devil has postured us that we never realize that with God, no mistake is ever wasted. God uses it to build us. Let's lift our hands. What a message of hope. What a supernaturally drenched message that you're not out of the equation. The worst thing we ever bought into was believing that this is a group of people that's can't fail, can't make mistakes. Listen, you ain't got to confess everything. There's one meter between God and man. God sees every mistake, every problem, and he says, I'm not going to waste that. If you'll give it to me, all things are possible. Come on, lift your hands and give God the prayer. I'm almost done. I promise. Well, Pastor, you don't know. I was involved in this, and I was involved in this, and I gave my body to this, and I gave my mind to that. Nothing is wasted in God. God's going to use that. You're going to witness to somebody. You're going to reach out to somebody. You're going you're to be used to reach entire nations. Psalm chapter 50, verse number 12. I'll finish with this. This is David praying his psalm of repentance. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You're never going to see anything without joy. God doesn't take your joy away because all this stuff happened. God doesn't take your joy away. We've been listening to the wrong voices. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Next verse. Then will an ex-adulterer and murderer teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be say it again Amen. 
converting your mistakes into ministry. Let's stand. Let's pray right now. However bad you want this, it's yours today. God chose a sleepy, warm August day to bring a revelation to a man's life that almost threw it away. But if you place it in the hands, he takes a little and feeds it to the masses. Let's pray. You thought it was over. You thought he was going to remove you from the throne. You thought the prophecies were done. You thought the promises were... No. There's some promises that are greater than your failures. This altar's open, Cornerstone. Come and receive the promise of God.